Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour. Today, my guest is Eve Adler, who for many, many years worked at Santa Monica Community College, and her area of specialization was being an integrative kind of holistic nursing faculty there. And she has since retired. So we start off the podcast talking about how we both have retired from academia and now we are living our best life in retirement, if you want to call it that. I think we're both very, very busy. We're not sitting at home, but we are keeping our bodies and our minds healthy and vibrant and doing work that we love and being of service to the world. And this leads us right into the topic of the day, which is a training that Eve took about brain longevity. And this training was put out by the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. And she goes over four very specific principles about how to prevent Alzheimer's, which I don't know if you know this, but Eve tells us that it starts, the manifestation starts 20 years before most people even know that something is going wrong and maybe get diagnosed or start to realize like, whoa, my brain isn't working like it used to. So think about that, that this could already be impacting us 20 years before we're diagnosed. That is fascinating. So what I found interesting about these four pillars that Eve goes into great depth to tell us about, two of them have everything to do with yoga and yoga lifestyle. Maybe three of them do. And the other thing that I think is so amazing is these four pillars are not only going to help us with our brain health, they're going to help us lower blood pressure, cholesterol, heart disease, diabetes, pretty much anything you can think of in terms of the physical body, as well as I believe these four pillars will help us with things like anxiety and depression and loneliness. So I just think that this lifestyle that Eve is outlining for us as a way to age gracefully and in good mental and physical health and spiritual health, it will help us prevent Alzheimer's and cognitive decline, but it will also help in every area of our lives. And I'm going to go through with a fine tooth comb and look at each thing she talked about today, because I took notes and I'm going to implement the ones that I'm not yet doing. So I hope you find this interview as amazing as I did. And I hope that it actually changes the trajectory of your life so that you can get started on your brain health and 20 years from now, because of the impetus of this podcast, you will be on a different path than you were if you didn't listen to our podcast today. That's my hope for you. All right, let's get started with Eve. She's an amazing woman, and I think you're going to enjoy this hour together. Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour and Beyond. If you're enjoying this podcast, you might enjoy our weekly yoga therapy clinic. We come together as a community and each month has a theme that we go through together like anxiety or depression or chronic pain or burnout. And we take classes together around that particular theme. You can do this for your own health and well-being or you can do it and receive continuing education units. So we welcome you to our Monday Yoga Therapy Clinic. Go to www.theoptimalstate.com and join us for this month. All right, let's head into our podcast and introduce you to this week's guest. Welcome, Eve, to the Yoga Therapy Hour. I'm so happy to have you here. I am so glad to be here and to see you again after all these years. I know. Last time we spoke, I think we were both still working as college professors. You at uh, Santa Monica Community College. And what department were you in there for all those years? I was in the health sciences department initially as a faculty in the nursing program and also teaching multicultural health classes. And then I became the associate dean and was the associate dean of the health sciences department for three years. And was that right before the pandemic or when did you leave that position? 
I left the position in 2020, mid-pandemic. So mm. mid-pandemic, there were many challenges for health areas, especially in colleges, especially needing to send students out into the community for their clinical practice. Hospitals were really closing up at that time. So there were a lot of challenges that the college faced and offered many of us an early retirement package. Wow. In some ways, that's such a blessing to be able to kind of slip out. But on the other hand, I know I just felt almost terrible for retiring at that time because the students were still left there with this big mess. Well, that's true. I mean, I thought of it in a number of ways. One, I thought this is a wonderful opportunity for me to pursue my passions. And the other is I have actually continued working at Santa Monica College on a part-time basis since that time. So even now I'm there working as their clinical lab specialist. So it was a way for me to come back and contribute in the way that I wanted to. Wow. And you're also working at Cypress College. What do you do there? So at Cypress College, I teach yoga classes. So I teach hatha yoga, intermediate yoga, and vinyasa. And that was another change that happened when I retired from my full-time job was thinking, what are the things I'm passionate about? And yoga and healthy aging and combining integrative practices that I've been studying for many decades combining them all and offering those. You know, I think a lot of people when they retire, their professional life almost comes to a close and they start getting other hobbies. But it sounds like you simply retired into having more choice about doing the things you want to do all day long with your life force. Yes, that was what I wanted to do with retirement. I know I felt like I was getting really burnt out being an administrator and I love teaching and I was missing teaching. And there were certain things I realized I could not fully bring to fruition in my full-time job. You know, one of those was creating an integrative health program. Right. Remember that? And the other was really teaching yoga, teaching Qigong, looking at all aspects of aging. And so all of those things I was able to do after I left my full-time job. I think this is the dream. I talked to so many people who are coming, you know, to join our yoga therapy program. And this is what they're saying is I want to make the last one third of my life meaningful and I want to contribute and I want to do what I want to do all day long. Exactly. I think about, I think in a lot of Hindu traditions, when they talk about the stages of life, And I feel that right now I am between the third and fourth stage of life. And that third stage of life, you're being an elder who can teach the community and just going back and teaching the community everything I've learned. And then I also waver between that fourth stage, which is being a renunciate and withdrawing and then focusing on my own development and evolution. And do you have time to dip your toe into that yet? Oh yeah. I, you know, I feel, <laughs> I feel that having your own time and creating your own schedules, you also create your own blocks of downtime mm-hmm. and, you know, opportunities to be with like-minded people where you can experience those things. So this is what I really do feel it's such a blessing to have been able to retire and then to continue. And I guess what people always say is they see me and they say, I thought you were retired. <laughs> I, I am. This is this is the best retirement. Meeting exactly. purpose. But I don't think, you know, I don't know about you, but I didn't know retirement could be this way. I am right there with you. I'm doing all the things I love. I'm still very busy, but I have many hours a day of self-care. And, you know, our topic today is going to be going into yoga for healthy aging and brain longevity. Like, I think 
this is the way to move into those later stages of life. I don't want to just sit around and watch TV or go on cruises. Not that I can afford that, but I love what I'm doing. And I think to stay actively engaged as long as we can be of service in a meaningful way, why not? Well, it's true. And I think for me, all of my images of retirement, everything that I'd seen was that you stopped working and you stayed home. And I think from what I have learned from the Alzheimer's and Research Prevention Foundation is that the mind has to stay active. The body has to stay active. You know, there are brain aerobics that need to go on on a daily basis. And it is really an opportunity to do the things that you want to do, or it can be that opportunity. Kind of a use it or lose it situation. Yes. Yes. Hey, you know, even in our yoga therapy program, which is a three-year program, we have people in there that don't really know if they want to be a yoga therapist, but they know they want their brain engaged in meaningful things that they care about. And almost every single one of them ends up being a fantastic yoga therapist, but coming in, sometimes it's like, well, I'm just going to do this because I want to keep my brain active and healthy. To me, it reminds me of yoga itself. How do you come to the practice? Do you come to the practice because of the physicality of it, asana, that you want to do asana, and then you go into deeper levels of the practice? Do you come into the practice because you want to learn about Indic philosophy? What brings you to the practice? I think as long as you get here, then you will figure out what is your own niche? What is the path for you? Yeah. Well, let's delve into the topic of the day. I know that you have been a guest speaker for the Yoga for Healthy Aging program with Baxter Bell and Melina Mesa. Tell us a little bit about that and how did you get involved in that and what called you to do that? I've been studying yoga and healthy aging with Baxter Bell and Melina Meza for a period of time. And I've also studied with other people like Larry Payne and Prime of Life Yoga. So it's something that I have been studying. And when was it? It was earlier this year. I'm also part of the Black Yoga Teachers Alliance. And there was an opportunity to apply for a scholarship. And this was a scholarship to the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation's Brain Longevity Teacher Training. And I thought, you know, that sounds like a good idea. You know, I looked at what happened to my mom. You know, my mom was uh, such a vibrant person who was someone in our family who actually made a lot of beginning steps in the family, moving from the South, coming to the North, owning her own home. And I saw her becoming mentally challenged with age. And so when the opportunity came to study about brain longevity, I thought, you know, this would be a good complement to everything that I do. I completed the program and I contacted Melina Meza and I said, Melina, I think this might be something of interest to the Yoga for Healthy Aging group. And she and Baxter talked about it. And then the three of us worked together. And Baxter and I then had a session, a kind of a back and forth question and answer about different perspectives of using yoga to help the aging process and to just maintain our vibrancy as we age. And do you think I want to get more into the Alzheimer Research and Prevention Foundation training that you went through with brain longevity, but as kind of a general umbrella in terms of brain health, do you think it's mainly the physical postures and exercise aspect? Is it the mental, emotional work that could happen? Is it spiritual? Is it all of the above? You're right with all of the above. Basically, brain health involves lifestyle changes. Mm -hmm. And the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation looks at what they call the four pillars of Alzheimer's disease prevention. And those four pillars include diet and supplements. It's the first pillar. The second is stress management. The third is exercise. And the fourth is spiritual fitness. So it is all of those together incorporated into really our daily lives that help 
to prevent or stop Alzheimer's disease. So can we break down each one of those and kind of talk about what they recommend for each category? Definitely. And can I start with some facts to yeah, begin? Let's yes. do it. <laughs> so why I think this is so important is one life expectancy. When we look at our current life expectancy, worldwide humans are living longer than before. Most babies born in 1900 didn't live past the age of 50. And today, Americans will be close to the age of 80 or older. So although this increase in life expectancy is wonderful on one hand, on the other hand, it increases our risk of developing impaired cognition. And so this is happening worldwide. And I think that that is a reason for looking into, okay, how can we live quality lives as we get older? So when we break down these kind of four pillars and the idea being that Alzheimer's disease is preventable, the first one is diet and diet and supplements. And I know that a lot of times people think that I eat a really healthy diet. I eat an organic diet. Why do I need to take supplements? Mm -hmm. But when we look at our soil, our soil is depleted of nutrients. And this is because of decades of conventional farming. And most of the food that we eat today contains an average of 50% fewer vitamins and minerals than it did just 25, 30 years ago. So an example, between 1963 and 2000, the vitamin C content in spinach dropped by 45%. Since 1975, the calcium in broccoli has decreased by 50%. And the iron in watercress has dropped by 90%. So as a result, the National Academy of Sciences has said that it now takes twice as many vegetables as was previously thought to obtain the daily requirement of vitamin A. So this is why the idea that we need to take supplements in addition to a healthy diet. I want to interrupt you before I ask what supplements. I swear a lot of times, especially if I go to like a chain restaurant or a salad bar or something, I feel like even though I'm eating fruits and vegetables, it feels hollow and I can't explain. I just feel like, gosh, that doesn't even nourish me. That's probably why there must be something inside me that understands that the nutrients aren't even in there. Yes, exactly. You know, that kind of hollow feeling, you know, to me, it's the difference when you grow your own, let's say strawberries or your own fruit, and you compare the taste to something that you've bought in a right. supermarket. And like you said, organic isn't always the answer. Although I do feel like when I get it from local farmers, it seems to be a little more substantive. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And I think, you know, organic is definitely better, but the bigger picture is looking at the soil that we're growing our food in yeah. and how depleted that is. Yeah. So, yeah. Also the toxic chemicals that are put on it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So this is why, you know, there is something called the brain longevity diet and mm -hmm. the brain longevity diet is primarily plant-based and mm -hmm. it focuses on three things. It focuses on vegetables and fruits. It focuses on healthy fats and fish. So those are the three main components. The recommendation is to decrease red meat decrease refined sugars and oils and fast and processed foods. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? It does. I mean, that's what we've been saying all along, right? What was particularly interesting to me is looking at the nurse's health study. So the nurse's health study, it's a longitudinal study that I joined 40 years ago when I first got out of nursing school and every year for the past 40 years, you know, initially it was snail mail, a survey, and now it's email and now it's multi pages long. And, you know, basically that study was looking at nurses and their lifestyle mm. and what happens to them over time. And what they found was that nurses that reported a high vegetable intake 
that that was associated with reduced cognitive decline. Wow. Plant-based diet. I mean, that's really what it's boiling down to. Yeah. Good proteins, but lots of plants. Lots of plants. All right. Well, let's talk about these supplements because I find the whole supplement discussion overwhelming. And then you talk about which ones are absorbable and not absorbable. And I end up ordering things and then they sit on my shelf and I don't take them. What do I need to be looking at? (laughs) I agree with you. When I went through the entire supplement portion of the curriculum, I attempted to take all of these supplements and it made me sick to my stomach. So, you know, it can really boil down to two things. One is a daily high potency multivitamin or mineral, and that's the foundation for everyone. And the second is a high potency vitamin B complex with at least 50 milligrams of vitamin B. So that's the basics. You know, those are the basics. And then there are other vitamins that people can add, you know, for example, vitamin C, which is the strongest antioxidant out there. They recommend 1,500 to 3,000 milligrams per day. I mean, that's a lot. For me, what I do is if I'm not feeling well, I will bump it up to that amount. And, you know, other things that are recommended, vitamin E to protect the brain from free radicals and calcium for strong bones, magnesium for brain cell function and zinc for memory. But again, basic recommendations, high potency multivitamin and a high potency vitamin B complex. What about vitamin D? I'm hearing so much about spending so much time indoors. Almost all of us are too low in vitamin D, which leads to depression. And is that something we should be looking at? Or would that fall into the high potency daily multivitamin? That would fall into the high potency multivitamin. And, you know, I have to say when COVID first started and my doctor also recommended, she said, you need to take vitamin D, you're low in vitamin D. And by just taking a daily vitamin D, my levels went up very quickly. Mm. But then there was the other side of that where she didn't want it to be too high. Uh Yeah. So at a certain point, she said, okay, stop, you know, decrease it, stop it because she didn't want the levels to go up that high. So that's why I think the high potency is a good maintenance, but maybe if people have blood work done and feel they're low in areas and need to take supplements to get to a normal range. And do they recommend certain brands? Cause that's the other thing. Like you look on amazon.com or go to the market, the health food market, and you just see rows and rows and rows. It's hard to know what ones are, actually going to work. Well, it's true. And they don't recommend any particular brands. For me, you know, here is me and my kind of kid, I would say, issue is it's difficult for me to swallow all of those pills. So I'm always getting chewables. (laughs) I will eat the little gummy ones. You give me a pill to swallow and they just sit. So gummies are okay. It's true. I was at a friend's house and, you know, we were having breakfast and I saw her pull out these little gummies that were right next to her breakfast. And initially I thought, that's ridiculous. But then I realized that's the way to go for me. (laughs) What about the omegas? I thought you were going to talk about omega-369 and the fish oils and all that. They don't recommend that? Well, they do have a long list of things that you can take, but the basic being that high potency multivitamin, you know, the other things that they recommend for a sharp mind, ashwagandha. So recommending that, jinko, biloba, turmeric, resveratrol. So they do recommend those things as well. The Optimal State has some really exciting news for 2024. I'm moving to Minnesota, and as a result, I have the opportunity to come together with the University of Minnesota Buchan Center for Spirituality and offer therapeutic yoga classes to the general public, the employees of the university, and their families. We will do a three-part series in 2024, and we'd love for you to join us and become part of our University of Minnesota community, whether you're doing it for yourself or your loved 
loved ones, or you're doing it for continuing education, this is an online program that we're offering three times in 2024. And if you want more information, please come to www.theoptimalstate.com and look on the website for a section that talks about the University of Minnesota. We're so happy to be joining forces and we wanted to share our excitement with you so that you would have an opportunity to join us too. All right, back to our programming. Yeah. And when you talk about fish oil, I think incorporating the fish into the diet, which is a recommendation for the diet, a lot of the fish oil comes in that. So thank you, Eve, for going over all of that. I know that's kind of nutrition is out of the scope of yoga therapy, but I think, you know, we're calling this yoga therapy hour and beyond. So (laughs) we'll find a good nutritionist to help you or take the Alzheimer Research and Prevention Foundation brain longevity program, and you'll hear all of this. But let's go to the second pillar, stress management. How does that help to reduce Alzheimer's? Managing stress is a vital element of Alzheimer's prevention strategy because stress takes a really heavy toll on our health. The stress hormone cortisol damages cells in the memory center of the brain. Mm -hmm. And as we age or as we become ill, our immune systems become weakened. And the body can't handle stress as well. And also our cortisol levels are dropping. So stress reduction techniques become absolutely critical in the prevention of Alzheimer's disease. And, you know, there's a relationship between high cholesterol and obesity, depression, anxiety, high blood pressure and Alzheimer's disease. So this is why stress management is so important. And what is important in that stress management is yoga. Yoga's focus not only on physical movement and Mm -hmm. posture, but also breathing and visualization and meditation ultimately are stress reduction techniques. So research has shown that adults who practiced Hatha yoga were able to carry a sense of calm that they achieved in class when they left the studio. And this improved their psychological states, which also led to enhanced cognitive performance. And Mm -hmm. part of that is the Kirtan Kriya, which is a part of the training and it has a positive impact on memory. Okay, so what is Kirtan Kriya? Okay, Kirtan Kriya, it is a form of meditation. Mm -hmm. And Kirtan Kriya was first introduced to the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. And it is a form of meditation that combines hand movements, so mudras, and also chanting. Hmm. And so this is the recommended form of meditation that people use who have dementia or who want to prevent dementia. When we think of the meditation techniques, they have four steps in common. You know, one is being comfortable and sitting easily in a chair or on the floor. The second is quiet. So being in a place of stillness. Uh, The third is having a tool. So having a word or thought or sound or short prayer or the breath that someone is using. And then the fourth is attitude. When our thoughts are centered in our mind, or if we're doing this meditation, our thoughts wander, that we just bring them back and refocus. So with Kirtan Kriya, it has five actions. In terms of the breath, it comes naturally. In terms of the posture, we're sitting comfortably with a straight spine. And then we use a sound or a mantra. And the mantra is Sa-ta-na-ma. Sa-ta-na-ma, these specific sounds what they do is they're they're called primal sounds mm. and they each have a purpose. When they're repeated, there are 84 acupuncture meridians at the roof of the mouth that are stimulated. 
when these are repeated, sa, ta, na, ma. The jaw is relaxed and sa evokes an experience of expansiveness. Ta, strength. Na, a sense of the universe. And ma, communication. So when someone is saying these, there are also certain finger movements that are happening. So mm-hmm. sa, the thumb and the index finger touch. Ta, the thumb and the middle finger. Na, the thumb and the third finger. And ma, the thumb and the pinky. And then it repeats in the same direction. Sa, ta, na, ma. Sa, ta, na, ma. Sa, ta, na, ma. Sa, ta, na, ma. So in the research that was done, there was a how this is done, you know, so how this is done, it is recommended that it is done for 12 minutes a day. And and, okay, but but, but, okay, we'll have some flexibility there. And that that, though, I love, I mean, that would be hard to keep doing, you know, that really requires focus of which one of the similar sounds and then what fingers are going like, I can see that's like a brain exercise. You're right. It's brain aerobics. And while you're doing that, that, you know, cause people have said, well, then what is my mind thinking about? So each time you do this, sa, ta, na, ma, you're thinking of energy, life force coming through the top of your head, out of your mouth, top of your head, out of your mouth. And then the sequence is two minutes out loud, saying sa, ta, na, ma, out loud. And then two minutes whispering this, sa, ta, na, ma. And then four minutes when you're doing this silently, no sound, but just the mudra. And then two minutes where you whisper again, sa, ta, na, ma. And then two minutes where it's out loud. So that was the sequence used in the research. And they needed something where everyone was doing the same thing. Can we link that research paper or maybe even offer it as a free gift after the, do you happen to have that citation? I do. And what, so with the research paper, everyone had to do, you know, what they recommended was the 12 minutes. I think challenges with it that I find is that how do you know when two minutes is over? How do you know when four minutes is over? which means people needed a timer. One thing that the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation did is they created music. Mm -hmm. So they created music. So instead of using a timer, people would follow along with the music. And then for me, I realized that just doing sa, ta, na, ma, however long I can, in whatever situations I can, Sometimes I find even if I'm taking a walk outside, I'm walking and doing the motions, the mudras with my fingers and thinking it silently as I'm walking. So I feel there's a lot of flexibility in there. I'm also imagining that we could make a 12 minute tape for our client where it was loud and then we were tracking the time and then a whisper so that, oh, now my teacher's whispering. Oh, now that's silent. Now she's whispering or he's whispering and now it's out loud again. Would that be cheating though? Because they wouldn't have to pay attention as much? No, actually there is an audio track that the Alzheimer's and Research Foundation made for people to follow along with. So Mm -hmm. your idea is absolutely correct. You know, I think that's the challenge for a lot of people. Like that's a little bit too much for me to do. I have the MP4, which I can email to you. That's something that the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation would allow me to put on like a back page of my website so we could link it for our listeners. Yes. We did the same thing with Yoga for Healthy Aging. You know, basically the Alzheimer's Research Prevention Foundation, they just want to get this information out there. Mm -hmm. They want people to be able to practice this and have this information. Beautiful. And how wonderful that this foundation is willing to use these yoga techniques with the Sanskrit word for what we're doing here and the Sanskrit mantras. And it's really kind of amazing that they didn't try to westernize it or give some other syllables. You know, I think it's cool. 
I, I agree. You know, to me, that's something that makes it recognizable to people because they're talking about a number of things that people can relate to. And when the four pillars breaks it down into major points, but what fits into each of these pillars? I also wanted to talk a little bit about two things, and I hope that's okay. One is spiritual fitness. So spiritual fitness is another aspect that is focused on, and that includes psychological well-being. And basically, psychological well-being is when it's cultivated, people have the energy and the resilience that can help their body and their brain create a buffer against illness, against depression, against cognitive decline. So when I talk about psychological well-being, that includes things like accepting yourself and accepting others, self-confidence, independence, personal growth, positive relations, and having a purpose or a mission in life. And when I think about that, I think about the beginning of our conversation when we were talking about, you know, what we do in retirement. Yeah. You know, and so spiritual fitness interweaves aspects of well-being, like having patience, cultivating patience, cultivating awareness and self-acknowledgement, having compassion and also surrendering and surrendering to your spirit your soul. It could involve faith. It could involve trust in a higher power. Mm -hmm. And when people are working on this, it manifests as socializing with like-minded people Mm -hmm. and accepting and forgiving yourself and other people. Patience, volunteering or service without thinking about a reward. And these things I feel are important, especially in the world we live in today, where there's so much conflict and confusion as we look at everything. First of all, I love that broad, almost secular way of looking at spirituality. I think that is so inclusive and Hopefully everyone can find something in there that they can believe in and hold on to. But my question is, have they done research to show that this actually helps to prevent Alzheimer's? Spiritual fitness? Yeah. The research that they have done looks at all four pillars. So it's all four pillars. Right. And... Actually, there's a study called the finger study. This is a study which has taken those four pillars and implemented it in different communities. And finger stands for the Finnish Geriatric Intervention Study to Prevent Cognitive Impairment and Disability. So it was the first randomized control trial showing that it was possible to prevent cognition decline using this multi-domain lifestyle intervention among older adults at risk. So the results of the study highlighted all four of these domains, not just one. And what the conclusions were is that they found that overall, it promoted overall health and functioning. It reduced the risk of developing new chronic disease, and it was strategic in protecting brain health. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of research, even coming out of places like UCLA, that link like loneliness to inflammation. So I think even though maybe for Alzheimer's, it is, hasn't been completely, you know, every study has been done. I think we have these links that are pointing us in the direction. Of course, inflammation impacts our cognitive health. Yes, I agree. You know, I think that we've been studying maybe these things in isolation and the idea of bringing them together in terms of lifestyle changes is where you see the most benefit. Yeah. And as you've been saying, like, how do these things work together? 
here you are doing satanama. Right. You're getting your exercise every day. You're taking your supplements. You're going to your place where you volunteer for no reward. And I mean, that's just a good lifestyle. Yes. Yes. But do people realize that, you know, uh, you know, do people I hope so. together? I'm thinking of the people that are really struggling in old age that I'm watching and they are lacking everything that you're talking about today. Yeah. It's sad actually to watch, but let's go on to the fourth one. I think it's exercise. Okay. So in terms of exercise, so spiritual fitness was the fourth one, stress management, exercise. So exercise includes both physical and mental exercise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they call it brain aerobics, how to keep your brain functioning. It was previously believed that we stopped making brain cells after a certain point in our lives. But now we know through neurogenesis that there are brain cells that can continue to be created as long as we do things to foster it. Mm -hmm. And those things have to do with being active. A sedentary lifestyle, meaning fewer than five hours of activity a week, is associated with more than double the risk of dementia. Mm. And regular exercise can reduce the risk for developing Alzheimer's disease by 50%. Wow. When we talk about, you know, what do we mean by exercise? Good exercise options includes things that are aerobic as well as strength building. Mm. And, you know, I have heard people say, well, you know, yoga isn't aerobic, but I think it really depends on our practice. If we are doing a vinyasa practice, you know, when we're saying aerobic, it's anything that increases your respiratory rate and your heart rate to the point where you can begin to sweat. And mm. yoga can do that. Strength training exercises are added on to that. And that is to improve muscular strength, whether you're using weights or some form of resistance to increase your lean muscle. So mm. in general, about 12 repetitions of something. And I have found that through my yoga practice as well of using my own body weight to create strength. I've also heard people say, well, after a certain point, you plateau with yoga. So you need to add a resistance band or you need to add something else. And basically aerobic and strength training, it increases growths of cells in the hippocampus. And this is the region of the brain that is responsible for short-term and long-term memory, as well as spatial navigation. So mm -hmm. people then ask, okay, how much do I have to do? And that there, there's a variety. So a person can do 150 minutes a week of moderate aerobic exercise. So 150 minutes, like two and a half hours a week of moderate aerobic exercise, or they can do 75 minutes per week of strenuous aerobic exercise, or they can do 20 minutes of fast walking or running three times a week. And in addition to that, add in some balance or gait training to prevent falls. And that is yoga. Mm. I don't know about you, but do you see people kind of check off in their mind? Like, okay, I do that. I do that. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. happening. I'm like, okay, do I have this covered? And it's actually quite a bit. I mean, what you're talking about is at the very least, most days of the week, dedicating an hour to your physical health. Is it really an hour? So if you said 150 minutes. Oh, a maybe it's only, I was thinking five days a week. No, no, it's for the whole week. 150 minutes a week, that's an hour and 30 minutes for the whole week. Oh, gosh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So no, no, no. You know, I think if we think that for me, when I think about it, I think about I'm going to spend 15 minutes a day doing something aerobic. Okay. That's totally doable. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's doable. And then I'm going to spend 15 minutes a day doing yoga. Mm-hmm. That's 30 minutes a day, 7, 14, 21. That's over the amount. Right. 
Yeah. And if you just throw some weights in there, some squats, some lunges, some, you know, bicep curls, tricep presses, you can just go grab some little dumbbells. Yes. And that's what I do. I love to do just like 10 minutes of weight training a day after my cardio. That's perfect. You know, so you're getting in even more than the recommended. Yeah. You know, so to continue to do these things, to exercise, it helps our memory, increases blood flow to the brain. Absolutely. And then let's talk about the brain aerobics causing neurogenesis. What is that? Is that like puzzles or crossword puzzles? What are we talking about there? So doing things to keep your brain active, whether it's reading, whether it's crossword puzzles, whether it's figuring out things on a daily basis. You know, I recently started for this semester is working in the health sciences learning center Mm -hmm. of college. And part of that is keeping the supplies that students, faculty use in the health learning center. They have a lot of simulation mannequins in there, Mm -hmm. keeping the supplies organized, being able to get them for people. When I started it, things were all over the place. And I have found just the process of organizing all of these supplies, labeling them, being able to retrieve them, give them to people when they need them, being able to retrieve them and use them myself, creating order. That Mm -hmm. has been a real exercise for my brain. Yeah. You know, so something like even organizing your house. I love that. I, I just have this need to organize things and to, I was telling my friend that I'm moving from California to Minnesota and in the boxes that need to stay in the garage, they're one color, but the bins that need to be unloaded right away or another color. And I have this whole spreadsheet and she's like, you are crazy, Amy. And I'm like, no, this is good for my brain. I, I love that feeling of being able to know what's in each box and where it's going to be. And so that's kind of what you're talking about. Right. That's brain aerobics. You know, for me, it's also, I have a garden and my garden, all of the plants are in pots and I grow vegetables and herbs and fruit and they're on shelves outside and every single pot is labeled in terms of what is in it, because I'm not going to remember all of these. And people come over and and they look and they're like, oh my goodness. (laughs) You know, I guess it looks like someone who is totally obsessed with being organized. OCD. (laughs) I know, I know, but I love it because I know what every plant is and I keep them all together, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, there's a time and place for everything, right? I want to show people a picture of your garden. Those of you watching this on YouTube, we have to look at Eve's garden here. So this is on her website, which I'll put in the show notes, but it is beautifully organized. I mean, goodness gracious, look at this changed from that aspect as well. Yeah. So yeah, I have shelves and they're all labeled and all of that. Yes. Mm. And that that's very gratifying to me. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I wanted to talk about, I wanted to talk about care partners, Mm. people who take care of those who are going through cognitive impairment And they call it the negative impact of caring. And what they have found is that people who are taking care of people who are going through cognitive decline, it increases their own risk of developing Alzheimer's disease and leading to an earlier mortality. And some research has shown that a caring for a spouse who's between 66 and 96 years of age was what they studied and who's experiencing some type of mental or emotional strain can result in a 63% increase in the risk of premature death or Alzheimer's for the care partner. So mm-hmm. what we're talking about is also important for those people who are caring for those who are having cognitive impairment, that they need to look at these four pillars as well. I mean, if you just think about the four pillars, if you're caring for someone, you're overwhelmed. You might not have the time to make sure you're eating well and taking your supplements. I can imagine your cortisol levels are off the charts. 
You may not even feel you have time or even someone else to watch after your spouse while you get your exercise. And then the spiritual fitness, you know, a lot of that, if you're a full-time caretaker, it's probably hard to get out of the house and do much. Exactly. You've hit it right on the head. So there's really a goal to have the four pillars also be something that care partners implement in their lives. Together. Do it together. Yes. I think caretakers are notorious for putting the other person first and kind of putting themselves on the back burner. You're right. When you just look at the quality of sleep that a person may not get yeah. because they're caring for another person or and the isolation that they may feel because they're caring for another person and that then becomes their entire world. You know, long, long time ago, we bought a home and the gentleman, he was an older gentleman, he didn't get out of the home when the house closed. So we went to move our things in and he was still there with his wife who had Alzheimer's. And he simply couldn't focus on the move because she was so full time. So we ended up helping her get into a home and moving all of his stuff out. Our brand new home, we didn't even get to move our stuff in for several weeks. We were in shock that he simply couldn't do it and didn't have the support that he needed to get out of the house. Yes. Wow. That is something that it must have been so difficult for you we were okay with it. <laughs> My husband was driving with his trailer full of stuff down the road. I mean, we were just laughing like, oh, only we could get into this situation. <laughs> but it worked out. We we pray that somehow if we're in that situation, some young couple will come along and help us. <laughs> exactly. You were heaven sent for him. Exactly. You really were for both of them. Yeah. Well, Eve, this has been such an informative hour. I feel like, you know, I'm only 53. Is this something I should like kind of, I mean, I'm doing a lot of it already, but should I try to start doing it now? Oh, what a great question. Alzheimer's disease and cognitive impairment, the changes actually start 20 years before they manifest. So, you know, a person who's manifesting symptoms of cognitive decline. It started 20 years ago. So yes. 53 is. <laughs> yes. I think we should all be living the four pillars. All right. After we get off the call, I'm going to order my high potency multivitamin <laughs> gummies. Um, I'll check off. I'll look at all the different things and get on it because, you know, who wants to end life in a state of not having clarity and autonomy and connection and maybe being frustrated or confused sound like fun. And I think the big thing is who's going to care for you? You know, mm. who would care for you in this situation? And is that what you would want? Yeah. Let's just try to be vibrant and resilient mm. for as long as we are alive. Yeah. Well, Eve, I want to show people how they can get in touch with you to share this work with you. I'm going to start with your Instagram, which is help underscore people underscore heal, help people heal. And the good thing about your Instagram page is you have a link that takes us right to your website and the website, if you look at the link, is tiny.one slash Eve Adler. But I think it's easier just to click on there, right? Yes, yes. And that brings us to your website. What do you want us to see on your website? You have a wonderful programs that you're offering multiple times a year, I'm sure. Right. The yoga in Qigong is something that I'm very interested in. The podcasts. So mm -hmm. I've been creating podcasts for decades, many years. And if you clicked on any of those links, you could listen to the podcast. They're about 20 minutes long and cover things that are health and health policy related. So related to healthcare and health policy. And so is it mostly from the perspective of being a nurse in integrative medicine? That is my background. And 
you know, I bring people onto the podcast that are doing diverse and dynamic things mm -hmm. that also are related to health policy, you know, in terms of what's its relationship to health policy and how can people get involved and how can people make change? Beautiful. And then tell us about the yoga and Qigong classes. Is that something I see you have privately, in-person, live-streamed, recorded? Tell us about that. I have been practicing Qigong for about 40 years, and I'm a member of the board of directors of an organization called the Society for the Research and Application of Nan-Lao Shu. And Nan-Lao Shu means hard to grow old. And so I teach Qigong classes and I like to combine it with yoga. I think Qigong is a wonderful way to start a yoga session by opening up all the major joints. Beautiful. And you give workshops also on healthy aging. You have some in the fall of 2023. Do you think you'll be adding some more in 2024 if we came to your website? I would hope to be adding yoga and aging workshops, qigong workshops, kind of integrating all of the things that I study. So come back to the website. It's easy to find me on LinkedIn. You can get to the website from there. Also Facebook, Instagram, you go to help people heal and you can get to my website from there. And it's always changing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been our pleasure to learn from you. And I just almost feel like you're a bodhisattva. You're here being of service to the world with every ounce of your life force. And I'm really grateful you're on the planet. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Amy. And thank you for inviting me. It's been wonderful to share this space with you. A big thank you to Eve Adler. The Bodhisattva, I'm going to say it again. She is here to be of service to this world. She has dedicated herself to doing good in the world. And I'm really grateful that her essence is here to help all of us. I mean, what she talked about today even has me like kind of thinking, okay, get on this, Amy. You cannot wait. I'm thinking about an elderly family member that I have who is in her 80s and she has Alzheimer's and we are just slowly watching her decline in the assisted living home and watching her language deteriorate, watching her ability to communicate and connect and stay awake, her ability to take care of herself, sleeping more and more. I know this is not what she would have wanted for herself. She was a vibrant healthy, happy woman who loved life. And it's almost tragic to see her in this kind of decline towards a slow death and not having that quality of life those last few years. I mean, I think many of us want to have a high quality of life until very close to the end and then hopefully die peacefully in our sleep. That would be the ultimate if we could. And just to say that there are things we can do to prevent this. And I like this idea of all four pillars, because when I look at my family member, she had really good diet. She took a lot of supplements. I think her stress was really high most of her life. She had great spiritual fitness and she did exercise a lot. So she had three of the four, but I do think those cortisol levels were pretty high most of her life. So, you know, looking at this as a complete package and where can we work with each of the four quadrants to try to decrease our risk of cognitive decline. And as I said earlier, I think it's just going to help with our overall mental and physical health in many areas. They could probably take this exact same protocol and do it with diabetes or heart disease or anxiety or depression. And I'm guessing we're going to see really good results. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening, everyone.
Thank you for listening to the Yoga Therapy Hour and Beyond. We love to give you the gift of this podcast each week, and we'd love your support. You can support us through becoming a Patreon member. You can download the Optimal State mobile app and join as a member of the mobile app community. You can give us a great rating on the platform that you listen to this podcast on and many other things that would help us. Contact us if you'd like to be of support. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to our continued relationship with you. A special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.